In the middle of the first century BCE, the great Roman general Julius Caesar is putting the finishing touches to a crushing campaign in Gaul. Rarely had Rome known such a successful military leader, but it was not all good news. The Roman Republic was in crisis, and Caesar had political enemies. He would soon return home with a single legion and an ego elevated to that of a god. But instead of defending Rome, he was coming to conquer it. In 49 BC, Caesar found himself at the banks of a river, faced with a choice. Sensing the weight of history on his shoulders, he said, Let the die be cast, and with those words, led his legion across the Rubicon. I'm Adam, and this is Culture Bites, a little bite into the apple of culture. Rome has been known as the Eternal City. The nickname, coined by a Roman poet in the first century BCE, refers to the sheer greatness of it, a light that promised to never stop shining. Its origins are mythical, founded by two feuding brothers raised by a she-wolf. The settlement of Rome grew into a kingdom, then a republic run by a senate, and later into a huge empire, with a single figure on the imperial throne. It was Julius Caesar who made way for that empire. Caesar, who became the head of his family at just 16 after his father died, had a strong sense of his own greatness. As a younger man, he was captured by pirates. When they asked for a ransom of 20 talents for his freedom, Caesar was offended and demanded they ask for 50. As a prisoner, he joined his captors in games and poetry, and in a more light-hearted moment, he promised to have them all killed once this was all over. You can imagine the awkward silence that followed, and then the pirates cracking up with laughter. But after the ransom was paid and Caesar was freed, he duly returned with an army, captured the pirates, and had them crucified. Later, he became an effective leader in politics and war, expanding Roman-controlled territory to cover all of Gaul, the area that is now France. But politicians back in Rome were fighting amongst each other, and they distrusted Caesar, who had become a hero for the Roman people. He knew that when he got home, he would be prosecuted for breaking rules while he was away fighting barbarians. And he wasn't up for that. The problem was this. There was another rule about entering Italy with an army. Namely, don't do it. Generals only had the right to have an army in the place where they were governor. Avoiding prosecution meant confronting his political enemies with armed support. But entering Italy with his legion was to declare war on Rome. And the northern border of Italy was the Rubicon. And so crossing the Rubicon has become a metaphor for a point of no return. It's a choice that, once made, you cannot undo. But you're not going to hear your friends saying it like in a pub or in the betting shop, even though drinking and gambling have plenty of points of no return. In fact, at a party I asked some people if they knew the meaning. Uh, do you guys know the meaning, the meaning of the phrase crossing the Rubicon? Crossing no. the Rubicon. No. I've crossed the Rubicon. Well, is that like... Isn't Rubicon a drink? River in a-
crossing the Rubicon. Do you know what it means? No. Do you know what it refers to? No, I have no idea. Please tell me. Some knew that it meant no going back, but not many people knew where it comes from. But you do hear it in news and dramas. The term is often wheeled out. Here's Kevin Spacey in House of Cards. We choose to keep the teachers happy. That is a mistake, Linda. We've already crossed the Rubicon. I'm telling you. And the erstwhile British Prime Minister, David Cameron, warning about restricting press freedom. ...into issues of principle, practicality and necessity. The issue of principle is that for the first time we would have crossed the Rubicon of writing elements of press regulation into the law of the land. And the president of the Philippines, Rodrigo Duterte, used the Rubicon metaphor in 2016, explaining a strategic move away from Obama's America and towards Xi Jinping's China. I think I have, uh, I'm about to cross the Rubicon between me and the United States. And in other news reports, it gets used. I said he never, he, you, he never crossed that Rubicon. There was never a call to violence. There was never a call to armed... from playing out as, quote, North Korea would effectively be crossing the Rubicon if they were to conduct another nuclear test. She added... There are a few figures in history that have the gravitas of Julius Caesar. But did his gamble pay off? The answer is yes and no. He had sealed the fate of the Republic but had also sealed his own fate. The civil war against his old ally and rival, Pompey the Great, lasted four years, and at the end, the victorious Caesar had complete control over Rome and its provinces. And that should have been that. Rome celebrated the end of the war and the start of a new era. Reforms were made, buildings were built, and a new calendar, the Julian calendar, began. He also made himself dictator for life and his grandnephew, Octavian, his heir. But members of the Senate were never happy to have Caesar taking all the power for himself. They plotted to kill him, and on the 15th of March, 44 BC, they struck. Caesar was stabbed 23 times by the senators, the most famous being Brutus, a man who Caesar thought of as a son, partly because he might have actually been his son. In Shakespeare's play, Julius Caesar, his final words are famously, Et tu, Brute? And you, Brutus? It's quite a heartbreaking moment, even for a man who'd ruthlessly assumed power and made himself dictator. Things we don't usually condone. Sadly for the people of Rome, the death of Caesar did not bring peace, but more civil war. Sadly for the senators, the death of Caesar did not bring back the Republic. Caesar's grandnephew and heir, Octavian, was young but talented, and rich, and he also had the name of Caesar. He outmaneuvered his rivals and made himself Caesar Augustus, the first emperor of Rome. He went on to rule for 40 years until his death in AD 14, bringing Rome more power and wealth than ever before. Between these two men, the last dictator of the Republic and the first emperor of the empire, we get the names for two of summer's hottest months, July from Julius Caesar and August from Caesar Augustus. But to quote Shakespeare once more, sometime too hot the eye of heaven shines. To those living through it, it must have seemed that the eternal city was just that, eternal. But the power of Rome eventually burned itself out. Like a dying star, it ballooned and then shrank split up and faded away and became a holiday destination. 
Still, a thousand years in the sun, it's not a bad effort. Culture Bites is written and made by me, Adam Hutchins. Thanks to the partygoers in London for indulging me in my questions about crossing the Rubicon. And if you're interested in the Chinese way of saying the point of no return, then just listen to the previous episode, Puofu Chen Zhou.